Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Slate Money is sponsored by Citrix GoToMeeting. When meetings matter, millions choose GoToMeeting. Hold a meeting with anyone from the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Get a free 30-day trial by visiting gotomeeting.com and clicking the Try It Free button. Hello, and welcome to the sports edition of Slate Money. It is finally here. We promised that it was going to come. And we have made it. We have brought the ball over the finish line or some sports metaphor. I'm Felix Salmon of Fusion. I'm joined, as always, by Kathy O'Neill, the data scientist and blogger at mathbabe.org. Hi, Felix. And Slate's Moneybox columnist, doing double duty today as a sports columnist, Jordan Wiseman. Hello, Felix. And most importantly, (laughs) Mina Kimes, who is an amazing writer and doer of amazing things at ESPN, the magazine. It has, it has a definite article in its title. Um, why is it called ESPN, the magazine, and not the ESPN magazine? What? The ESPN magazine sounds really stupid. It would be sort of like saying the... It's like saying the Ohio State University. Yeah, Everyone right. kind of chuckles whenever they hear that. Yeah, so. exactly. Okay, well, so welcome, Mina. Thank you. Thanks for having you are, me. You are here as our resident sports expert you know everything about sports i am here as our resident sports ignoramus i know absolutely nothing about sports and so i am not going to even pretend to introduce any of these topics um all of you wonderful listeners we mentioned on passant as apropos of absolutely nothing that we thought that maybe we should do a sports episode and we got so much mail we got tons of mail and suggestions and great emails about things to talk about, and we're going to... Ignore everything. Scratch the surface. <laughs> we're going to scratch the surface, but if it works, we will do this again, because there's, there does seem to be an infinite amount of interest in this subject. So, we're going to have three different um, sports-related segments. Um, we're going to talk about whether building new sports stadiums is a good idea. Is it stadia? Stadiums? And Roger Goodall, who apparently isn't a Goodall, he's a Goodell. 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 Um, you know, 
they can't even pronounce their own names, these sports people, who apparently is paid lots of money, as was mentioned in the philanthropy episode. But first of <laughs> all, Kathy, we are going to ask about paying athletes. This is, I mean, athletes generally get paid, right? Um, so, yes, athletes get paid. But you have found an exception. Right. I'm talking, I'm going to, I'm going to start. Well, we can get there with professional athletes, but I'm going to start with college athletes. Jordan, you look like you need to say something. No, 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 no. Okay. I, just, I, I, I love the idea. We found an exception. <laughs> the one no one had noticed. <laughs> you may not have heard of this story, but <laughs> here we go. Yeah. So just in case anybody has no um, information about sports whatsoever, so I'm talking to you, Felix. Um, it turns out there's quite a vibrant college athletes, athletic community. Um, run by something called NCAA, National Collegiate Athletics Association. And they have lots of rules. And one of the rules is that... So this is basically just people who play sports when they're at university. Yes. Okay. When they're at college. It's like yeah. the Oxford-Cambridge boat race. It's, I'm, I'm yes, with you so far. exactly <laughs> like the Oxford boat. Oh, my goodness. Um, they are not allowed to get paid. And there's even like very strict rules on how much they're allowed to have or expenses. And they do get scholarships, but they're not that good. And they can get kicked out if they get injured. And it's all a big mess. And the question of today, at least we should start with, is whether they should actually be getting paid. Do, okay. Does anyone, I mean, let, let's start with just around this table. Very quickly, does anyone around this table think there's a credible, colorable argument why these people should not get paid? Anyone? No, no one. Okay, so we're going to take it that this is valuable labor, that they generate large amounts of money, and that they should get paid. Okay, so there's two issues. First of all, it's the perspective of the athletes. The athletes work 40 hours a week. Um, at, it, it's a job. It's a full-time job. There's also supposed to be students. Um, there's lots of bad conditions of their job. Um, so from the perspective of the student, of course, they should get paid. But from the perspective of the college, it's actually kind of more complicated than that. Some of the colleges make money on their sports teams, but most of the colleges don't. So those colleges are saying, hey, we can't pay our athletes. So they, I, well, I actually want to step in athletes. here that on that point specifically. Yeah. And Mina, I think you can probably sure. speak to this as well. But it's actually really murky um, what colleges do and don't make off of sports. Uh, a lot of it, if you look at the NCAA's reports they bring out annually, it shows most athletic departments are a net loss to a university. Even most, e even most football or basketball programs outside of really big time sports are a loss. The problem is that accounting involves a lot of kind of weird assumptions about, essentially they look at money that a school might pay or an athletic department might pay in rent for a facility as a cost, right? Even though they're paying it to the school itself. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of an accounting fiction. And they, and they also account in costs like these bazillion dollar salaries that they pay the coaches. Well, those right? are real. Those are right, those are, But yeah. no one's saying they have to. They could use that money on players instead. Can, they, we, can we let Mina actually, yeah. she so, know something? No, I mean, Felix makes a great point, which is because they're operating outside of free market, it's this weird, you know, where you're not paying for your labor. Um, all of the costs are basically fictional. I mean, you can pay these coaches whatever you want. You can say, oh, we have to spend $10 million on a new practice facility. I mean, Oregon's, you know, football stadium and practice facilities famously have like a waterfall. And Wait, really? so when, when schools like this come out and say, oh, we're losing money on football, you know, it's like, well, what are you spending money on? Do you need to spend that much money on that? You know, so Jordan's correct also in saying it's really murky accounting. And the, and the income is mostly television, right? 
television, branding, branding yeah. licensing, so it, tickets it, too. It used to be tickets. It used to be. Now it's television. Now television is right. kind of eclipsing. And that. selling shirts. But when you say branding, like, yep. do, do these unpaid student athletes have to run around wearing Nike jerseys and then Nike pays for that? Well, so, and this is a huge issue with regards to whether they pay them. They can also not make money off of their likeness, which was recently brought up in this huge lawsuit involving a former college basketball player who saw that a video game company was using basically his image in the game and he was receiving none of the proceeds. So colleges used to sell jerseys, sometimes with the numbers of the athletes, and the athletes got none of that money. And that even happened after they left college. Um, but it, I, it, I want to, so we have kind of agreed that these co- <laughs> athletes should be paid, but I do want to make the point that the Northwestern football team just unionized and they were not even right. asking to get paid. What were they asking for was more basic care and nurture. See, what I mentioned very briefly before that they're actually, their contracts are really terrible and they can get kicked out of their school if they get injured. And so they're asking for basic <laughs> rights, like you have to, you know, pay for our college tuition even if we get injured, or you have to pay for our medical expenses if we get injured. They are actually not even demanding pay. So I'm just pointing out that there's like, there's lots of stuff we should ask for before the money. And I'll just jump in and say a lot of that stuff is actually already happening. So the major schools in a preemptive move basically to address some of these concerns without having to go to you know the code zero situation, which is an actual free market, are making changes. There's a thing called the Power Five, which are the biggest conferences with the biggest football teams. And some of them are starting to implement changes, such as ensuring a lifetime scholarship for athletes, ensuring health care, doing this thing called cost of attendance. So it's kind of like a preemptive strike against the bigger threat. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask my stupid question for this one because it's the only stupid question I'm going to ask in this episode I'm sure but <laughs> can someone explain to me as as I understand it there there are basically three sports in America four if you include ice hockey um but only two of them are really big college sports basketball is not that's right so basketball is basketball American is huge. football is yeah. and then baseball just doesn't get played in colleges no, it does. it does. Those are the only two sports that actually generate significant revenue it, for it, schools. It gets played. I think part of the issue is that there's the whole minor league system for right, baseball exactly. that takes a lot of a lot of the best talent that might be in college. Even though some players go from college to the minors, it, it, it sometimes gets drafted straight out of high school. Um, it's it's just the level of play isn't quite there. And l- let me ask Mina a question uh, related to that. Did do you think it would be better for the sports or for the players if we had minor leagues? instead of college football and college basketball, if we had like minor league. Right. So that's a solution that comes up a lot. The NBA has something called the D-League, which is, you know, not that great. The best players usually go straight from college after a year or two to the NBA. But people are saying, well, what if we just, you know, replaced these upper echelon schools with that? And it's hard because these schools have rabid fan bases and alumni and huge followings and they're enormous brands. I mean, UT football, Kentucky basketball, they're worth so much money that to abandon that would be just a seismic shift in sports. And by the way, 32% raise in revenue since 2008. How much money... So. Again, mm-hmm. how much money are we talking about? How much money is is UT football or Kentucky basketball worth? I think UT football maybe makes a hundred several. I don't. A couple hundred athlete, million dollars. The, 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 the UT athletic, athletics the, makes one hundred and sixty six yeah. million a year. Yeah, Most of that's football. Yeah, they're enormous. I I do want to um 
So, I, but so I mean, in, in endowment terms, that's roughly equivalent to I don't know a four or five billion dollar endowment right yeah. there. But that's that's revenue, I believe, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. not that's, that that's, doesn't include costs. Yeah, but that's which that's obvi- obviously, as we've said, it's very hard to actually figure out what these programs' real costs are. Um, but yeah, it's it's a significant chunk of change. They're at the very top, though. It it kind of it's a. Uh, you know, the power curve. Everything a is a yeah. fat tail in yeah. this. In this, and I right. actually looked into totally. the professional salaries too because we decided to talk a little bit about that. If we, I'm going to throw that in. Um, of the four um, big national um, uh, sports leagues, the NFL has both the the smallest average length mm-hmm. of career and the smallest salary. Um, so it's weird. It's at, at the same time, the NFL has the most revenue. So we have this weird thing going on in, in professional sports. So it seems, and, and part of the, so let me just walk my way through this slowly. Professional American football players have very short careers, probably because they're busy bashing their brains into each other and dying. But in order to help um, make up for that, uh, we should at least pay them for all of the years that they're playing. But right now, they spend four years unpaid, That's which right. is just not fair at all. Well, not unpaid. They're, so uh, in the last collective bargaining agreement, they set a scale for how much rookies get paid. No, no, no. I'm saying that so. four years at college are unpaid. Oh, yeah, but a lot of them leave college early, but you're correct. Oh. Yeah, but they do spend you know, at least a couple of years unpaid. Yeah, but given that, I mean, it's a great point, Felix. Given that the average NFL career is 3.5 years long, that's less than four years college. Right. So we're talking about half your career you spent unpaid. It's a big deal. And the first four years of your rookie contract, as I was saying, at a much lower scale than you're worth. Yeah, I think there's also coming back to the, the shortness and violence of uh, shortness of a, a football career and the violence of it. That that's an aspect of this that doesn't really get a lot of attention, but should. One of the things about treating these people as employees that or that would change if you treat these people mm-hmm. as employees, these players, is that they might be able to get workers' comp, they might get better insurance, things along those lines. Um, that is part of the reason why the NCA is so worried about it. But right now, if if you're a scholarship athlete um, and you're injured, you're kind of up a creek. Right. I mean, that's so, that's so, real. so you don't get health insurance. Uh, there's they're changing they're this changing. right now. Yeah. So kind of the big schools, as I was saying, talking about the preemptive strike because they really just don't want to pay these athletes on an open market. That's the worst nightmare, you know. God forbid. So they're they're doing things more like you know adding injury conditions. I mean, you'll keep your scholarship. Things like that are happening. And what do you think is the NSAA is like? What do you think they're going to do in the future? Who? The NSA? NCAA. NCAA. Very similar in some ways. You know, most people think this isn't tenable, right? I mean. You look at public opinion and not just us four, most people are starting to come around to the side that these guys do deserve to be paid in some way. So they're are slowly making changes. There are a couple of major lawsuits making their way through the system right now um, that aim to turn it into a free market and let them get paid for their likenesses. So I think those things will start happening in the next yeah. 10 years. And then let me just finish this segment off with a question. If the men playing football and basketball wind up getting paid, Mm -hmm. is that going to mean less money for women's sports in college? Well, there are, you want to jump in? No, no, go for it. I yeah. Title there, IX, yeah. is first, yeah, you go for that, though. Yeah. Okay, so because of the, there's a lot of Title IX, which means that the women's programs do have to be equally funded, um, the question is whether they'll just start dropping programs if they have to pay athletes in the, quote, you know, revenue-generating programs. And, and that's So a, wait, I, under I Title IX, that would mean that the women athletes would have to get paid the same as the men? I don't know. See, I don't know. This is It's big, a gray area. It's a gray, it gray area. area. If you look at the decision, so we're talking about these court cases, um, 
The one that comes to mind uh, for me is um, the case involving the Northwestern players that are trying to unionize. It's actually at the NL, the National Labor Relations Board right now. Um, they haven't. They were trying to unionize. They haven't officially done it, but this has kind of been evolving. And if you if you read it, um, a lot of the rationale that these people are employees who deserve to be paid comes from the fact that they essentially play in a revenue generating sport, mm-hmm. which you can't really say the same thing for a lot of women's athletics. So no, so it it is a gray area. It's really hard to tell how what that intersection would be. An interesting kind of linguistic issue when you're dealing with this is there's a difference between should be paid and must be paid or, or rather could be paid and must be paid right because there's a difference between saying all these athletes have to be paid and saying these athletes should have the opportunity to be paid which again is more the free market solution that i tend to agree with and, and as a mother i mean can we have a third option where they actually just play sports every now and then and they don't it's not a full-time job well, well as a mother sports, and i'm not a mother but as a, <laughs> if, I, if i were a mother yeah. like can we just have a third option, which is we don't play American football because it's just a horrible <laughs> I, sport? I'm gonna, yes, thank you. I, I, I'm so torn on this, but yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, there's one more question that actually came to mind from your first comment. Does punting on the Thames or like rowing actually generate it? Does anyone pay to watch that? Is there any revenue involved in English college? It, it, it is televised, but I'm not sure that the, the, the television companies pay anything. Those for ad the spots to... are so valuable. <laughs> I think it's on the BBC. They don't really have ads. Um, so I've been that, that question's been burning inside me since you mentioned it. We are, we are going to continue talking about these recondite methods, but first, we have a sponsor. People, we're excited about this. Um, we're going to talk about. Citrix go to meeting, which is all about meetings, which are boring things and annoying things, and they involve travel, but you can avoid that now because you can have as many meetings as you need with anyone, anywhere, one virtual space, you can have high definition video and all the rest of it. And so, Kathy, yes. next time that we're hanging out yeah. virtually, we're going to use what are we going to use? We're going to go to use GoToMeetings. We're going to use GoToMeetings. Exactly. So this is what you do. You get it free for 30 days by visiting GoToMeeting.com. You click the Try It Free button, and that's it. GoToMeeting.com, free 30-day trial. Mina, Stadia. Is it Stadia or Stadiums? It is technically Stadia. Stadia. Really? Yeah, I was uh, recently corrected on that <laughs> story. <laughs> um, you know, it is nerdy to say it that way though but um yeah so sta- stadia let's talk about stadia so stadia are very expensive right so the, the average nfl stadium now costs i think the vikings are building a stadium that costs over a billion dollars to be you know these are mammoth projects um and there is a limited supply of teams as a result cities and states want them and they want to hold on to them okay so, so let's start with that one uh, why do cities and states want an nfl team well, there's a theory that they generate a massive economic impact and that building a new stadium will, you know, help the city and the state, which has been been disproven numerous times by economists. And, you know, it's kind of the consensus now that those studies are way overblown. But people want teams because people love sports. Nobody wants to be the city that loses a team. You know, I mean, why would a state or a city not want an NFL team or an MLB team or an NBA team? But I just are, throw... are, there, are there big cities which don't have teams who feel a little bit sad, a little hole in their heart <laughs> where their sports, sh- sports team should be? Uh, 
yeah los angeles and lost football <laughs> right <laughs> now yeah seattle lost their you know where i'm from lost their basketball team a while ago and then people still talk about it you walk into a coffee store and coffee store wow a coffee store <laughs> in seattle that's how true uh, seattle i say it and people are still whining about losing the sonics I, it's I a hear, big deal yeah, no, you, you in the brooklyn dodgers I hear people are upset about on the street corners now. They're complaining. It. I mean, not yeah. to mention that when you meet someone in an airport, you say where are you from, and then you start talking about sports. I mean, that's yeah. how people communicate. It's like, I just also want to throw in that if you guys have ever played, this is a very nerdy comment. If you ever played Civilization, that video game where you create civilizations, uh, if you add a stadium to a town, it makes the people happy. Wow. Well, that that is, it's like embedded <laughs> in the in the program. So that's it's interesting when you see economists. Um, talk about this now I, it, they absolutely agree it is basically there, there are very few things economists all almost unanimously agree it's like the gold standard was a bad idea and sports <laughs> stadiums are a terrible investment yeah. um but they they are willing to talk about like consumer surplus and like at, at, like happiness intangible intangible yeah, that, that always comes up they now, will allow yeah. that but the, the, i want to actually talk a little bit for listeners about why it is that sports stadiums don't add much to local growth because this is something intuitively you might think oh opening a big business in a neighborhood is going to be good for a city mm. the problem is what most economists find and and kind of agree on is that this money that people spend at local sports doesn't generate new spending. It's money they would have spent mm-hmm. elsewhere already in the city. People don't go to a, like a Pittsburgh Pirates game or a New York Giants game in, uh, and then also go out to dinner. They do it instead of going out to dinner. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes uh, and, and so it doesn't actually increase the amount of local spending. At the same time, a lot of the money that's being spent on that team, you see, oh, there's going to be $400 billion a year in the budget. Well, it's going to players and owners who live elsewhere and pay taxes elsewhere a lot of the time. And so actually, it's exporting a lot of that revenue out compared to if you funded something else. I also want to start the part of the podcast where we talk about most egregious examples of um, stadiums. Um, So, for example, I know um, there's stadiums that get lots of tax breaks. Almost all stadiums get lots of tax breaks, which is a loss for the city. But Mina, can you tell us one of the more, like, sometimes they actually get money from the city, right? To act oh, like- yeah. I mean, forget tax breaks. You know, we're, we're talking about straight subsidies. I mean, so the Viking Stadium, which I just mentioned, it, I think it was about, it's about a billion now. It's gone up. Uh, I was just under a billion. Anyways, that's, I think, more than 50% of that is public funding. I know there was 500, at least yeah. 500 million. And how does that was. get voted on? I mean, who decides that? That's an interesting question because a lot of times it's not voted on. So they're able to pass, you know, these tax breaks and subsidies and loans and whatnot without even having their taxpayers cast a and single vote. Again, me with a stupid question. Yeah. Uh, sports stadiums nearly always owned by the sports team who plays in that stadium? Not always, actually. Sometimes they are owned by the city or state, and then the team pays rent um, to the city or state. Is that what's true for the Vikings stadium? I think, though, that's owned by the yeah. Wilfs. I think majority of the time they're owned by the Most team. Of the time there's true. there's a, a fun stat that Greg Easterbrook uh, included in a, a very long uh, Atlantic piece about how, quote, the NFL fleeces taxpayers. Apparently, 70% of the capital cost of NFL stadiums has been provided by taxpayers. 70% of the cost of these stadiums. Um, th- that gives you a sense of just how much we are subsidizing these teams. And there are other subtle ways we subsidize. But, I mean, yeah. okay, so, so now I'm just going to look at it the other way. So as I yeah. know full well from feeling let you know left out in conversations and from <laughs> from from walking down from walking down the street uh. desperately trying to find a bar which doesn't have a television showing a sports <laughs> game and finding it impossible. I know how central sports are to American life. 
And given how central sports are to American life and given that these sports generally need to be played in stadia, is, doesn't it make sense that America as a country, you know, through our taxes should be spending some money on it? Because there are a lot of people like you who really don't care, right? It is, I mean, no, I'm, I'm serious. You know, so what is a social contract? What do we agree to spend money on? Hospitals, schools, roads. But we haven't agreed to spend money on stadiums just because there are many sports fans and there's outspoken groups that do want to keep them and tend to profit from them doesn't mean it's part of the social contract. The thing, the thing which I think annoys me about this as an idea is not so much that taxpayers are spending money on the stadiums, but rather that what we're seeing is a transfer of wealth from the right. taxpayers yeah. to the team owners. Yeah. And that the yes. team owners are all billionaires and they're becoming incredibly wealthy and the value of these teams is going up enormously. And I just ask myself, why should they wind up reaping right. the benefits it's, of it all seems this like, money? Exactly. It seems like an arms race, right? Because like, you can imagine the thought experiment. What if our city refused to help pay for the stadium? What would happen? And the answer is always going to be, we'll move to a different city mm -hmm. who's willing to pay. But what if we get an agreement with all the other cities? Let's stop doing that. Then the owners would just build their own stadiums and it would be not as much of a of a wealth transfer. Yeah, I, well, you know, there, there are other things that are about, there, that, about this that are really frustrating. Um, for instance, there are ways like the federal taxpayer also ends up on the hook for this because a lot of these stadiums are financed with municipal bonds that are ta yeah, not yeah. taxed. Uh, you know, the, the the interest on those bonds is tax free, so they're able to get a lower rate. Um, that, as a result, means that essentially a guy in, in in some way a guy in New York is helping to fund a stadium in Minnesota to some degree or another, or in in San or in California, and so there's yeah, we can talk we can these... talk about the tax deductibility of municipal bonds some other that's a much bigger question. Yeah, that is than it gets, but, but it's an example of that, and so it just there are all these ways that yeah it does become a, a transfer up of wealth from you know middle class taxpayers to owners and to well yeah, mostly owners. Yeah, all owners. I mean, well, then the question is why don't cities own the teams? Why don't the cities just Right, national because the them. owners won't let them. I mean, yeah. Is it, but, wait, what, what, isn't that what Green Bay does? Uh, it's kind of a complicated situation, Green Bay. So there, it is you know, quote unquote, publicly owned, which means they do have to release their financials, and people own a, a share in the team. Um, after that, I, I I might be wrong, but I believe the NFL owners passed a rule saying never again. Yeah, hmm. yeah, because <laughs> they don't. They want to. They've got a really good thing going. And and so, in general, Mina, is it fair to say that? For all the sports athletes that get incredibly rich um, contracts, that in mm -hmm. general, in the fight between labor and capital, capital is winning in sports, oh. and the owners are making much more money than the talent. 100%, right? Yeah. I mean, who's you know generating all the value? You know, I mean, in the NFL, I think 50% of the revenue are supposed to go to the, or 50%, right? Go to the players, and the NBA, I think it's just a tad less. I mean, but. When you really think about it, that's kind of ridiculous, right? Yeah, it's kind of insane, too, if you think about it, because what capital is capital bringing to this? It's basically bringing right. the stadium, right? Like, that is the capital. Well, that, all that's coming from the taxpayer. All the, right. all the added exactly. value is coming from the players. So what exactly are the owners contributing in any of this? Racist comments every now and then. Occasionally, <laughs> occasionally some racism, yeah. <laughs> that's... So, um, and, and, and individuals, there are no, like, listed sports teams right this is all just for billionaires this is a, the, the sports teams are play things for billionaires okay yeah. so dear listeners even if you wanted to buy a sports team you can't <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple of football clubs in england which are listed and i can Manchester. assure you those are bad investments i do 
before we move on, want to ask you a small favor. Um, because we want to learn more about our podcast listeners. We want you to tell us about all of the podcasts you enjoy, not just the Slate ones, how often you listen to them, how you find out about new podcasts, that kind of thing. So we created a survey. It takes a minute to complete. If you fill it out, you'll help Slate continue to make great podcasts about lots of things. And I can tell you secretly that there's going to be some amazing podcasts coming. Um so, so do fill out the survey, please. It's slate.com slash survey. Um, or the link is in the show notes for this episode. So just slate.com slash survey. And then more podcasts, more happiness, more consumer surplus. And you'll probably be so happy you're going to want to go and throw a ball at someone. You <laughs> might invent your own sport. <laughs> you mean Calvin Ball, maybe? Is that better? Um <laughs> Jordan. Yes. It's not Goodell, it's Goodell. Is that really Goodell. right? Goodell, yes. Oh. Uh, it, it is Goodell, Roger Goodell. Oh, man. So as we are recording this right now, Roger Goodell is delivering his annual State of the NFL address, uh, which always precedes the Super Bowl, which is, of course, coming up this weekend, the big game. Um, and it's capping off uh, one... Super Bowl is that thing where Katy Perry plays in halftime, right? It is that wow. thing where Katy Perry I, plays I in found that out on, yeah. on <laughs> and, the internet today. I was very excited. I might even watch it now. Ooh. Have you ever watched it before, Felix? I have never actually wow. either been to a football game or watched a Katy Perry concert. Wait, but wow. have you ever, you've watched a, a Super Bowl game before like, that. You've actually watched the Can Super we take Bowl a pause once. and just ask Felix a bunch of questions about sports? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you can, have you ever watched a football game? Have I ever watched a football game? American football. An American mm. football game. I think um, when I was 12, I think I watched one, but I can't remember it very well, but I believe the San Francisco 49ers were involved. Do you know, do you know the teams who were in the Super Bowl? Um, yes, because you were wearing one of their hats when oh, you walked sh- in. Dang it. it was it's it's the Seattle Seahawks, which I think is a hilarious <laughs> name for a team. And then they're playing. Um, is it the Green Bay Packers? No, no. they're cheaters. That's a hint. They're cheaters. So De- it's the Yankees. Deflation. Oh, wow. <laughs> remember you last week? Do you remember deflation? last week we were discussing deflated balls. Tom Brady's yeah, deflated defla- balls. Deflated balls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. New England Patriots. New England Patriots. They're the cheaters with the deflated balls. What, and what? And well, what we, town? we don't. It's it's questionable. Is, is that oh, Boston? It's is New, New England, England, the entire regional. region, which They're is an embarrassment. Yeah. Where team. where did they play? Uh, Foxborough, which is you know not really that close to Boston. It's yeah. close to Providence. Okay, so it's it, this is a this is an East West thing. It's a, East Coast it is. West Coast. Kind of an old school New School thing too. It's so 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 New England is old school. Yes. Seattle is is New, trendy New and Paul Allen, some Paul, Microsoft. Who, who, does he own them? He owns them, yeah. Oh my God, Paul Allen is in the Super Bowl. I love this. Is how he, this is <laughs> wow. what gets I, I reeled you in. Wow, yeah. Um, he also owns the Portland Trailblazers. We remember uh, we were saying about the and millionaires. And another, that's, sorry, yeah. sorry, that's a basketball team. That's a basketball yeah. team. Okay. Yeah. So Paul Allen is a. Have multiple. you ever watched a basketball team? I know that he was into music. <laughs> he did that. He built that music thing in Seattle, yeah, right? There. So he, he obviously has many strings to his bow. <laughs> sort of a sports analogy. Um, yeah, back that, to you, yeah, yeah, Roger Goodell. Tennis racket. Back to Roger Goodell. So T- tennis doesn't have teams, does it? It just has individuals. Okay, I know you're from England. You have to have watched tennis. <laughs> you're lying now. No, I'm not, I'm not saying. No, I mean, I'm just saying, like, because I know that golf has teams, but I never quite worked out how. Well, we have this thing called the. It's it's the Ryder Cup. I've heard about this, yeah, and it du- involves teams. Yeah. There's double. There's doubles tennis, and they're uh, and they're team-ish tournaments. But anyway, this is there's the we'll move on. So we're we'll talking about on. Goodell. Goodell. Yeah, we're Goodell. Talking, we're talking about Roger Goodell. So 
it's been a hell of a year. Uh, it started off with the Ray Rice scandal, uh, domestic abuse, basically uh, just in like talk about develop, uh, domestic abuse enveloping everything about the league. Um, it's finishing off with Deflate Gate, which we discussed a bit, but it's basically the question of whether or not the New England Patriots have been using deflated footballs, uh, not pressurized to league specifications in their uh, NFC champ- or AFC championship win. Um, you know, the big question everyone asks about Goodell is, is he competent? Is he is he a good commissioner? Mm-hmm. I, and what does it even mean to be a good sports league commissioner? Yeah, and, and actually, yeah, so I mean, again, with the stupid Felix question, what does an NFL commissioner do? That's not a stupid question. <laughs> That's actually a really good question. Um, so, you know, there are 32 owners, and the commissioner's job in a large part is to basically keep them in line, keep them getting along, as well as enforcing sort of the rules of the league um, for players. He comes, I mean, he does, a, you know, Roger Goodell's kind of made it his job in some ways to do things like enforce personal punishments, which came to play with the Ray Rice thing. And how long has he Negotiate been TV deals, sorry. Commissioner? Two thousand six, yeah. The previous a, commissioner was commissioner. And for a let long me time. just let's go right there because I think that the fact that he's both trying to represent and make money for the owners, right. and he's also in charge of doing things like disciplining the the um, players that are misbehaving, um, sometimes really badly. Um, that's a conflict of interest, and that's what people are complaining about. And it's not clear that Rich, it, that Goodell is actually bad at his job, given that it's so conflicting. The question I have is, shouldn't there be two people here? That's interesting. I don't know. I you mean, mean one, one, well, one representative of the players and one representative yeah. of the owners? Yeah, because, I mean, Goodell's doing a great job making right. money, right? No one's disagreeing about that. I actually yeah. have I have qualms with Especially that. Especially for himself. Right, that is I, typically the defense. Yeah, with regards to the discipline, there have been some changes to that recently. Um, so now there's going to be a, a neutral... Ar- Actually, a neutral arbiter, arbitrator, arbitrator. Arbitra- Thanks, Jordan. No problem. Uh, and investigate outside investigator, but Goodell still has the power to rule on appeals, so he still kept himself on top of the pyramid in terms of the discipline process. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's still sort of attached. So, the, yeah, the classic argument for Goodell is that he's been miserable handling scandals. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, PR, uh, con- PR, concussion, the concussions, uh, or his callousness about uh, head injuries has been just. Awful, and it's probably done a lot of long-term damage to the league. But what people give him credit for is just raking in money. Uh, the league's value—I mean, the league's revenue has gone up about sixty-five mm-hmm. percent since two thousand six. Um, you know, he negotiated this deal with the players' union, where he basically forced them to take a smaller cut of revenue. Uh, so the owners love him for that. My theory is he actually—he kind of illustrates a one of the the big problems with executive pay in America in general, which is that often. Uh, the CEO gets credit for just mm. dumb luck. So how much does right. he get paid? He gets paid $44 million to head what is technically a nonprofit. The NFL League office is, and this is actually more complicated. That just means they distribute the profit to themselves. Partly, well, yeah, so among the team. So the League office is a nonprofit. He gets paid $44 million a year right now. He has managed to, he became commissioner at a time when the NFL was already basically the most popular sport in America for things that predated his, te- for reasons that predated his tenure. So what did he do before he did this? He's, been, he's, a, he's a lifer. He's been within the NFL mm-hmm. his whole career, essentially. Okay. He was, as a kid, his goal was yeah. to become NFL commissioner, or as a college kid. Like, that was so, his, so one his of, stated goal. He one told of people. my, um, the thing, the name which I have in the back of my head here is Sepp Blatter. Um, and you're talking about Roger Goodell <laughs> and how evil he is, but he can't possibly be as bad as what we have in like the real sport in the world, i.e., you know, <laughs> soccer. 
Yeah, I mean, that's like, oh, God, I'm, it's so hard for me not to come up with an offensive analogy right now. Yeah, come up with an offensive analogy. Do it, do we, it. We, we approve of offensive analogies. I don't want to, what's the fallacy where you compare things to Hitler? <laughs> I already got, I really oh, don't want to fall law. down that no, hole. No, I, I, I violated Godwin's law. Godwin's other, law, yeah. yeah. The other week, so. Just go for it, man. FIFA's evil, or not FIFA. Yeah, yeah. but that's so unfair. That's like saying, you know, well, you know, George W. Bush was a good president relative to Harding. Am I? Not, <laughs> I'm trying to like walk no, the no, line here. No, yeah, that's uh, sorta, yeah. Yeah, but but to Jordan's point, but, but, there but was a great cool. sports yeah. are inherently. Well, I guess what I'm saying is that when you have that much money in that few hands yeah. with that little oversight, there, there's inherent corruption, and it seems to me that for all that people might have a beef with what he's doing and how he's doing it, he's mm-hmm. not actually corrupt which is you know well, I'm, I've been reading all of these headlines about actually, New York State and I'm yeah. like well not being corrupt is a right. pretty good place to start I mean there was with the Ray Rice scandal there was a lot of questions about whether he actually was being misleading about his process what he saw what evidence he had how he handled it so you know not financial correction but to your point about commissioners the NBA actually has a commissioner right now that's incredibly successful and well liked uh, who Adam Silver he recently became commissioner so it's and not impossible uh forget what his salary don't is. Don't know, yeah. His, I, oh, you know, I don't even think it's public. Is oh, yeah. He, it's, it's a private, yeah, they're, they are not a nonprofit, so they don't have to disclose it. It's but. not impossible is what I'm saying, basically. Yeah, I think here, here's also one of the, the arguments of the deal. Again, he's been lucky. He's been leading the league at a time where football is the only thing right, that makes right. money on television. And so right. revenue has gone up, essentially, for things that are largely outside of his control. He's like a he's like an oil exec who's there when prices go up on crude, right? Um, at least that's my feeling about it. But yeah. at the same time, he's managed to really damage player relations. Um, the players absolutely hate him for the way he handles punishments and sometimes a seemingly capricious and a capricious way, um, and the way he handled the lockout. His predecessor was very, very good about dealing with the labor side and keeping things level and smooth and not creating controversy, which a lot of people think is one of the reasons why football was so successful in the first place, because you didn't have a a disastrous strike Mm -hmm. like in baseball or like NFL has been plagued by these labor problems. And if in the NFL you have that, it could eventually undermine the game. So you're basically saying Goodell is as competent as a shoebox and would be better if we replaced him with a shoebox. I think he's below. I think he's a below Because he hasn't actually Mm -hmm. done anything except sort of live from 2006 until now when NFL like got more money. It's an interesting case study in whether poisonous labor relations can cause long-term capital damage. I mean, we don't know yet, but I think that's important. But they clearly haven't done yet. No, it, uh, the NFL continues to grow. Revenues yeah. continue. But as Jordan's saying, it's like a perpetual growth. I mean, the, uh, there was a great story on him in GQ this week. And I think Eric Winston, who's the head of the uh, president of the Players Association, said it's like a, a bartender on spring break. Yeah. You know, you're going to make money, <laughs> yeah. right? So the question is, if he's doing these other things that are damaging, does that undermine the growth of the NFL? Well, there have been lots of statistics about how mothers do not want their sons to play football. So there might be a backlash, but it might be like a 20-year lag or yeah. 15-year lag. That's not independent of him because you'd be like, okay, well, what? He's not going to change the science. But as Jordan mentioned, he can change whether the league gets in front of these scandals, whether they're dealing with the concussion crisis head on. Uh, that's up to him. Okay. Enough $44 million commissioners. I mean... I find these numbers, I, I, I kind of enjoy looking at these numbers. I, the one thing which I, I'm sad we didn't get to, I'm just going to throw this in here as a quick little, you know, squib at the end, is the transfer values that you get in soccer. You know, when Gareth Bale gets sold from Spurs to Real Madrid for $90 million or something, that 
that just I don't that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Is that just because he signed a really big bad contract at Spurs and then he's worth so much more that Real Madrid is willing to pay it? through the nose to inherit that contract? Or? You know more about this than I do, I think. <laughs> I hope you're not looking at me. Do you know more about sports than you're letting yeah, on Yeah, I know. Right What's, now it all comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Just only soccer. Though. I think then they recently banned the ability of speculators to invest in that in players to, to make money off of that phenomenon you're describing. I, I, that well, I find there fascinating. Was, there was an unbelievable... If we're talking about evil... There was an unbelievably <laughs> evil company called Fantex, I believe it still exists, which tried to start oh, yeah, listing no, that is sports around. players. I, I I don't have time to go into all of the detail about why Fantex is just really, 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 really bad, but just take it from me, never touch one of those contracts because all of the money goes to Fantex and then the contract mm-hmm. basically says, if Fantex feels like paying you a dividend it will and if it doesn't it won't and you have no control it's a really bad deal we could have an entire episode just on contracts in sports you know and that that would be interesting too maybe we will maybe Maybe we will have another um sports episode but that is all that we have time for for the main body of the sports edition of slate money we do of course have time for the numbers round uh jordan do you have a number? I do have a number. It's it's not sports related. I brought one I one thing that would be a little counter programming today. My number is one point eight million, um, which is the number of jobs uh, that were created in twenty fourteen due to the expiration of unemployment benefits, according to a new paper that is out from a bunch of researchers at among other places, the University of Pennsylvania. I'm not say, sharing this number because I think it is should be taken as gospel because I even think it's right I, or I have serious doubts that it is in anything cl- anything close to correct. However, this study is already being brandished by a lot of conservatives uh, who are trying to find some reason to say, essentially say President Obama shouldn't get credit for the recovery. Um, it's questionable whether he should anyway, but they need some kind something to latch onto. Wait, so the model is when unemployment benefits run out, people run out and create jobs? No, it's actually slightly more complicated than that. The model is that when you have unemployment benefits, it raises the price of labor in the market overall, and so it makes it more difficult for people to create for businesses to hire and create vacancies, including among their their current employees. Who it it gets very complicated. It's, I've spent like a day trying to figure out if any of it really made sense. But it's anyway, I think this paper's already been featured in a very popular Wall Street Journal op-ed. I think people are going to continue arguing about it. I would it's basically I'm saying be on the lookout for that number of one point eight million. OK, I am. I'm very much on the lookout. For yeah, that. Um, I'm my, my number is 15. Um, uh, and it's actually due to my uncle. I, I kind of I think Thanks, it's kind of cool. Uncle. My uncle is an economist, Robert Hall at Stanford. And he just, in fact, went in front of Congress to explain this. He's on the conservative side of things. Um, it turns out that um, the labor participation rate, which has been going down, so fewer people are actually participating in the labor pool, has been going down quite a bit recently, since, especially since the crisis. Um, if you break down who's, who's working less, the most obvious group is rich young people. They're hmm. working 15% less. And this is interpreted by certain people as... 15% fewer rich people work than... Teenagers. Let's think teenagers. Okay. So there's a couple of questions. So what, what, what exactly is the 15? 15. First? Well, I mean, we don't know how many, how much they were working before. Say 50% of them were working before. 15% fewer are working now. So it went from 50% to like 40 or something, 47%. I don't know exactly. Like, I don't, can't do the numbers in my head. The point is that fewer teenagers have jobs. 
And this is interpreted as, hey, this is great. This means teenagers are focusing on their education. Um, but there's lots of different, so, sort of like what um, Jordan just explained. It's a number that you could interpret in lots of different ways. And one way I will just but say... But we're not sending our rich young kids down the coal mines anymore. Yes. And, and you know, like, I, I, first of all, I worked three jobs when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. And it didn't do you any harm. I thought it was great. Those jobs are no longer available to teenagers, so that's one thing what to point jobs? out. What kind of... I cleaned houses and I worked in a coffee shop. Like that stuff is, it, they're being filled by grown-ups now. I worked okay. construction once. Coffee store. There's <laughs> no the way I would yeah. Yeah, ever have any anyway, job doing so, that. Yeah, and if, as, as an employer, if you can find you know, grown-ups who want to do the job for the same right. price, yeah. you're probably going to want one of those rather exactly. than a teenager. And the, the, other, the other piece of news from coming from that is that the labor participation rate of the poorest people has gone up a lot. And this is interpreted as great news. My number, I have to put this in this week because it really is an astonishing number and we can't not mention it, is 18 billion and 24 million, 18 point billion dollars is the number of dollars that Apple made in the fourth quarter of 2014. Oh my God. One quarter, three months, it made $18 billion. This is the single most profitable quarter that any company has ever had in the history of the world. And it made most of that money selling iPhone 6s. It's just an mind-boggling amount of money. Is that like including inflation-adjusted measures of like the Dutch East India Company and things like I, that? You know that... what? I wouldn't <laughs> be at all surprised because this is this amount of money is bigger than any oil company has ever made. Yeah. It's hmm. almost inconceivably large. And I think maybe in a future episode it will it might be worth trying to come up with ways of conceptualizing how big 18 billion dollars is but it's just insane it's tens of thousands of iphones getting sold every minute at 40 percent profit margins one fun way to do it and I've, I've put together graphs in past very profitable apple quarters but not this particular one where you just take the profits on each individual thing that apple sells and just compare that to act like companies like how like how like base i think maybe the ipad might be mcdonald's plus a few other corporations things along those lines forget companies i'm thinking countries at this point yeah, yeah. um so mina i'm up um up. so my number is five hundred thousand dollars which is how much the nfl was reportedly considering fining seattle seahawks running back marshawn lynch for not talking at media day which was a couple days ago he right. did talk he just he said I, I don't want to be here basically he said over and over i'm just here so i don't get fined but that number was being floated out as a threat, which ties back to our earlier discussion about why the players don't like Roger Goodell, which is that it was a totally arbitrary number, completely tethered from reality. Mm. So explain to me, is this this is part of what you need to do as a professional mm-hmm. football player is appear at press conferences and then sort of say, the, the other team sported better than we did, and so we lo- they, they scored more goals and we scored <laughs> less goals. And- I'm going to make exactly. Felix watch the Super Bowl with me. Oh I just decided. God. I'm coming over. It's like bringing the rain man <laughs> to a casino or something. Um, you can explain all of these downs. I, I really don't understand downs. We'll save that for after. It's, argu- <laughs> it's actually arguable whether or not coaches fully understand Ooh. downs. <laughs> It's a, a sick burn. Yeah, um, yeah they, do, they do have an obligation to talk to the press, so you are fined if you don't fulfill that. However, the fines, and this is more what the issue is, are completely arbitrary and confusing. He's been fined $100,000 in the past. Other players have been fined less. Um, so that number was being floated out and was quite shocking to people. 
it's about the same that you know as as the fine for biting another player in the World Cup, isn't it? It's, more it's way more than fines for doing horrible things on the field, such as stomping on another player, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing awful things that have happened. It's incredibly large fine. Okay. So, yeah, I think I think basically the lesson which I have drawn from this whole episode <laughs> is that sports economics make no sense at all. There's a lot of hugely irrational stuff, rent-seeking by owners, and... Um, Mothers, don't let your kids grow up to be professional sports players. Oh, there players. M- might be completely predictable things considering they're all cartels. That's true. <laughs> so that's it for us <laughs> um, this week. Thank you for listening to Slate Money. Um, do subscribe to the show, which normally doesn't have this much sports content. You can find us by searching for Slate Money in the iTunes store. Leave us a review once you've found it and liked it. And do keep on writing to us. SlateMoney at Slate.com. This entire episode was brought to you by various listener suggestions. We love hearing from you. Our producer for Slate Money this week was Audrey Quinn. The managing producer is Joel Meyer. The executive producer for Slate's podcast is Andy Bowers. For Kathy O'Neill and Jordan Weissman and Mina Kimes, I'm Felix Salmon, and we'll talk to you next week on Slate Money. Slate Money.